Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. And we are 30-year Wall Street analysts who've had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with our candid views on a handful of stocks out of each week's Value Line Investment Survey. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices and they'll never know. This week, we look at the October 7th, 2011 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey, small and mid-cap edition, which we've been doing uh, in uh, 2011. Uh, but before we get to that, a couple of important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. It's not a guarantee. Secondly, um, and my lawyer says I need to say this, we may not have your best interests in mind. We may tell you things that are the opposite of what you should do just to benefit ourselves. And, of course, we're not actually going to do that, but I have to say that. Third, this is a hobby. After work, you know, during the week, Mo and I have uh, real jobs. We're looking at a lot of financials, talking to management, looking through, you know, call transcripts, etc. But here, Mo, we've really done none of that. Unfiltered. Unfiltered. And finally... Uh, I've been drinking, and uh, at times heavily, wouldn't you say? I was paying for yeah, it, so you. yes, I can attest Thank to you that. very much, Mo. And, so, and also, I'd like to welcome Mo back to the show. Uh, listeners may appreciate that Mo's been, uh, you know, I think I mentioned that you were uh, you know, on a traveling German soccer team, and so I hope that went well. I hope you scored a lot of goals, it was, Mo, uh, wherever you were. It was, um, I went on an extreme Vacation. They package it for non-extreme people, but they went. It was an extreme vacation. Yeah, mountain biking in Moab. Wow. Well, that explains the cast. Well, well uh, we were we were with the PG group. We yeah. Met, we met two teenagers. They right. had two mountain bikes. Yeah. Two hundred feet of rope and a truck inner tube. They would ride yeah. to the edge of one of these. It looks like the Grand Canyons. Yeah. Lower the rope down. Drop the bike. Fill up the truck inner tube, and tie the bicycle to the top of the truck inner tube. Float yeah. across the river. Yeah. Climb up the other cliff. And you're filming this. Lift no. the lift the bikes up. I got some of it on my uh, on my uh, my uh, eye camera. Nice. But uh, yeah, it was uh, so it was interesting. Speaking of no injuries though. No, no, I'm kidding. You don't have a camera. Speaking of iPhones. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. bummed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, bye, Steve. Uh, really enjoyed you, and uh, you know I had an Apple II in 1979, and uh, very sad. And of course, we owe this show to to Steve, and you know it's all been said about him. But uh, what a great, a great man, you know. So. And you were when we worked together at our first firm. You were the one that created the Apple Closet. Yeah, remember that? Well, the Apple Room. Uh, I, you know, there were a lot of big computers that didn't do anything. They could make uh, Snoopy calendars, I think, and do the accounting. So, you know, one guy, you know, as a vice president, went and he bought. He said, Val, uh, he said, let's go, uh, let's go, get, you know, get what, what are these things? Apples? Uh, let's get an Apple III. Maybe none of you have heard of an Apple III. There was an Apple III. It came after the Apple II, and it completely failed. However, we bought one. We bought one. It could run a thing called VisiCalc which uh, was the first spreadsheet. Which morphed into Lotus, one, two, three. Well, the guy who did VisiCalc, uh, VisiCalc VisiPlot, yeah, Mitch yeah. Kapoor, the guy that did VisiPlot, 
which was actually you had to buy a separate program from VisiCalc to actually graph any of the data, and that was Mitch Kapoor, and that became Lotus. But we, you know, we created, uh, you know, we, we, we've been doing financial projections on spreadsheets. If anyone wonders where the word spreadsheet comes from, and it's from actual sheets that you would spread out, and they were green generally, and, uh, and we, we put that on the VisiCalc. And uh, the computer guy, who was an older guy, he was so upset at this because, you know, he had claimed that it was going to take him uh, a lot of time to do this. So upset, he erased all my files in my um, mainframe account. But fortunately, I, I remember had, you got them back. Yeah, I had I hidden them in your account, actually. I remember you got them back. So, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, so it clearly not only changed society, but Steve Jobs changed without any question the trajectory of both of our entire careers' lives? I think that's uh, accurate in some way because we were doing that stuff. No one else was doing it, and without the Apple, we couldn't have done it. Exactly. So thank you, Steve. Appreciate Recipes. it. Yeah. Um, now to the sad part of our show. Uh, so uh, Let me ask you one quick yeah. last question, big picture real quick. Since this summer, August or so, s and is down about 10%. Russell 2000 down 17%. Yeah. Worst relative performance of the year. It all happened. They tracked each other right through the summer, and then, yeah. boom, Russell 2000 starts to get whacked. What, yeah. What caused that? Well, you know, we've talked about this. These small names on any given day, and we do the Russell 2000 value in here. That's our benchmark. But the Russell 2000 is a good reflection of small cap in general. That's going to be pretty volatile. So most days, you know, it's going to be among the best performing indices or the worst. Um, and so you'll get that volatility. I think that, uh, you know, when the concern shifts to the world economy getting worse, so you have this Greek problem that evolved, and obviously you see the downturn in the indices related to that. Um, when you think things are going to get bad, the small companies just don't have as much cushion. They don't have as much access to capital. Um, you know, they may not uh, ha have as, as big of, a, of an equity cushion. They, they, they may have a marginal product because that's why they're small, so it's easy to, you know, cut back on them. And a lot of problems can happen, and I think that uh, the market reflects that. So, so they, you're thinking that if the market believes we're going into a second downturn, small cap gets hit for all of those reasons. That has already happened once in the first downturn. Yeah. Can we expect the second ramp? Can we expect part two to be as bad performance-wise? Well, you know, it could be. I, I would say this. Small companies are going to be more volatile, but great companies start as small companies. And so when you look over the last 10 is years. Your, is that on the fund sales pitch? Is it? I should no. be. That yeah. was great. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Great companies um, start I'm sure I owe somebody companies. a royalty for that. But, no, I mean. I like that. Yeah, well, thank you. But the, the point is, is that, um, you know, they're more volatile. But their returns are higher. So what do you want? And if volatility is measured as standard deviation or variance, I mean, who even knows what that is? So I'm saying if you don't care about that, then you look at absolute return. Since July, yeah, these things are down 17. The S&P 500, I mean, the Russell 2000 is down about 17. S&P 500 down about 10. But... Over the last 10 years, when and I don't have that data up, but with the S&P flattish, um, you know, the the Russell 2000, I should probably put it up here and quote something, so I'm not going to quote it, but it does better 
over almost any period except those short downticks, the Russell 2000 does better than the S&P 500. And so over any period that's, you know, longer than uh, a six-month or one-year downturn, over three years, five years, ten years, the Russell significantly outperforms. And I think that's for two reasons. One is there's a lot of big companies that are no good. Um, and they're just going to end up as small, failed companies. And when you buy the S&P 500, you're going to buy some of those. And the reason I know that is if you look at the S&P 500 from 20 years ago, there's not a lot of them in, in the S&P 500 anymore. And the reason is they were eclipsed by companies that at that time were small, growing companies. So um, as value guys, we look, we look at companies that are kind of beat up, but not over a 10-year period really necessarily. It's like, hey, this quarter missed the number. Or this year's not so good, but we certainly want companies that grow. We just don't want to have to pay for it. And we're continuously looking for companies that have some edge. Either their market itself has an edge, so it's gaining share of the overall economy. And within that niche, the company that we're choosing to invest in is gaining share within its niche. We rarely will buy something where uh, the overall industry is growing slower than GDP because if we're wrong about our individual company estimates, we don't have a cushion in the notion that the industry itself is gaining share. So there's value traps and those kinds of things, and that's one way we you know, kind of screen those out. Or It's not really a screen. It's more common sense. We like industries that are gaining share in the economy, and then within those we might pick the number two or number three uh, that's going to eclipse the number one guy and then take on that valuation. That would be sort of a rough you know, a rough view of that. But, yeah, they've been uh, nothing, Nothing unlike recently. the discipline we apply to these names. However. No, we don't do any of that here. Exactly. Just we so don't you do know. any of that here. Speaking of. So, yes, sir. name. Oh, you want to get into it now? My name or what? First name. The first name. First name, yeah. Uh, okay, let's, uh, let's get into it now. How far into the show are we here? Oh, seven minutes. No, that's the time. Wait a minute. Three t- really terrific names uh, this week. Um, and... Uh, Let's see. Where's the other one? Oh, here it is. No, that's your sheet. Here you are. There you are. Oh yeah. Okay. So going alphabetically, I don't have the page numbers. Uh, first up, a little company called American National Insurance. This week had a lot of electricity and a lot of life insurance. Now, I'm not a big fan of financials or banks, particularly. I think there's too many banks. I think uh, there's still a lot of bad loans out there in real estate, and so um, there's a lot of places to borrow money or raise capital that aren't banks. You know, uh, but aren't you yeah. overweighted in? Well, the Russell 2000 right value is overweighted, and you know the, the the clients want you to benchmark against an index. We use the Russell 2000 value in that index, and you can go to Russell.com and look at all this stuff. In that index, it's 30% financial. And is that simply that's life insurance and banks. And is that something that's unique to the industry, or is it just because they're beat, so beaten up? And so beaten up. The, the index is just created by a rank on price to book, basically. Right, right. So, yeah, the, all the bad banks are down in there. So is Morgan Stanley a, a, a micro cap now? You know, I don't think it is I think quite City yet. is almost. You know, <laughs> we own uh, both of those just because they're great brands and cheap, and but, uh, no, they're not in micros yet. But... Um, No, we've been underweighted the financials for eight years because you can pretty well see that uh, there's too many banks. Mm -hmm. They're aided by a positive sloping yield curve by borrowing cheap and lending out at higher rates. That spread that's been there traditionally is gone. Right. And, uh, you know, I think 
the, the biggest fees are coming from real estate. There's nothing going on there. So well, you know, it's a sick, sick area. <laughs> but what I was going to say is these are not banks. This is a life insurance company. And these things have gotten very beat up. And so why am I recommending it? Two reasons. It's 4.4% yield. And that yield, there's a dividend payout ratio. The dividend is 3 bucks. Earnings are 540. And if you look over time, they did have a, you know, some disruptions in 08 and 09 because and I'll get to why, but it looks like 5 bucks is a reasonable earnings level. You know, life insurance is a long-lived uh, you have long-lived customers that sign up to pay you for the rest of their lives, so you don't tend to get a lot of disruptions unless you have big write-offs, and we'll get to that. But they're paying three bucks on 540. That looks sustainable. The, the earnings in 2003 were 680, so they could have even paid it then. That gives you a four percent yield, and as we talked about the last couple of weeks, that's a pretty good, you know, place to park money. The other thing I like about this thing is the price to book, the book value of an insurance company. This one is 117 bucks per share and you can pay 69 bucks. So, uh, yeah, so you're saying, well, hey Val, you know, so what? What does book value mean? And normally with an industrial company or retail company, I'd say, well, yeah, book value may have nothing to do with the value of the assets. You might have had a management team that just foolishly bought a bunch of stuff that was expensive that has you know, no ability to generate revenues or earnings at all. So you got a big book value, but it's not even worth that. But in these financials, the book value is really trying to be the actual liquidation value of the company. So, you know, most of the assets of a life insurance company uh, are publicly traded securities. Now, I will say that... Um, about 3% of their assets are real estate, so that, you know, you might not be able to get a market quote on that. But you have auditors and such that are in there, particularly with what we've been through, who are trying to make that number accurate. And then the, uh, the liabilities are largely things that are actuarially determined, the present value of long streams of payments you have to make and, uh, you know, the probabilities of people dying and you having to pay them. It's pretty scientific, and they get this stuff pretty right. The actual debt is pretty low. Most of the liabilities are just the policies and the reserves to pay the policies. So, um, you know, it, the book value is, unlike most industries, is really trying to be the liquid value. Why is the stock at half that number or two-thirds of the number? Well, that gets me to these losses. You guys out there, you may have heard about this credit crisis or something that was going on, uh, and I've talked about it in the past. You know, there were a lot of bad real estate loans. A lot of them were purchased by, uh, you know, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae uh, with a little bit looser credit standards than had been, you know, used many years ago. And as a result of the AAA rating that the uh, rating agencies gave these things under Freddie and Fannie guidelines, a lot of life insurance companies, they have to buy really safe uh, assets, you know, because they need them to pay the spouses and widows. So you got to be super careful. So they only buy AAA rated securities. So you can imagine when these... Uh, mortgage-backed securities came along that were AAA rated and Huge. had Huge. premiums to the, yes. you know, the government yeah. securities. Everybody was buying them, and then everybody got beat up. So in 2008, 
after reporting nine bucks a share in earnings the year before, they reported a loss of 652. Well, that wasn't a loss in in terms of investment income or payouts to you know there wasn't suddenly a, a spike in the you know the, the the deaths. It was the write-off in all those real estate-backed AAA rated securities that they owned, and then um, into which looks like it's now. It's now them. unwinding, right? So um, my my reason for owning it would certainly be the yield up front because a value guy, I mean, you want to get something in hand, either an earnings yield that you can feel you'd earn if you owned the whole company or a dividend yield, which is real cash. Uh, but uh, in, in this case, you're getting that, but you're also getting the potential for this thing to move back toward books. So my story on this one isn't really any more involved than that. I did look through all the life insurance companies and um, this one is not as safe as some. A ratio you want to definitely check on this is assets to equity. And uh, it's leveraged, but you've got $21 billion in assets. You've got $3.6 billion in equity. I'm going to do the rough math on that. That's like six and a half times levered. Um, that's not the best. There's a couple in here that are five and four, but then you're at a 3.5% yield. So I don't mind the leverage. Um, they've never had an operating loss. I think these losses on the write-downs are a little bit behind us, and so um, I think it's 4% yield, potential for the stock to really move toward book over a three-, four-year period as the market gets a little more confident, and that's my, uh, that's my pitch on this one, Mo. Let me get more philosophical for a second. Please, please do. Um, how am I supposed to know? You're 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 overweighted in these, and you you've had a long well, history. Well, we're underweighted, but relative to the end, to where I'm you want to be. Right. You have a lot of experience. These guys come in and pitch you. I'm in a totally, as you know, different sector. I've never met them, actually. No, not these guys. Financial people. Yeah, they come in. Yeah, I'm not. I have no exposure to this, so I'm just like your listener out there, unless he's a financial. The, our person. listeners are geniuses. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's. So that puts me on par yeah, with all of our, our listeners, <laughs> yes, which yes. is good. How am I supposed to know what the what a book value definition is for a company like this? To me, it seems like I got to know the regulatory stuff. I got to know the accounting stuff. I got to worry about whether they got the right product mix. I got to know all these special definitions you were talking about. It's about what what the book really is on this company as opposed to everyone else in the world. To me, it seems like mm, a lot of things I don't know about. A week ago, I'm not talking that long. Sorry. Right? No, I'm just thirsty right now. Sorry. A week ago, we talked about e-diets. Simple. Meals to your door. They I had completely send forgotten about that. Great company. They send meals to your door, right to your door. You don't have to make any diet decisions. The meals taste so bad, everybody loses weight. It's a great company. It's another How do you, They claim their taste. They taste good. I actually did Did you try it. one? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Okay. It's not bad. No, it's not. It's a $2 stock. Anyway, really? I understood the company. I understood the concept. I, when they say book, I know what it meant. I look at right. I look at an insurance company like this and go, great yield. I don't know. I, how am I? Well, I can to tell you what that's supposed to be. That's what well, you paid for, I guess. Yeah, the big money here on the show. All right, I'm going to go with you because okay. you're the you're assets, the <clears throat> which are largely publicly traded securities, except for this little piece of real estate that you don't have any idea what it is, but it's only 3% of the assets, so it can't hurt you too much, minus the liabilities, which are... Uh, some are c contractual in terms of you know the amount, and some are just promises to pay widows, and you're, you've got actuaries over here who are trying to, you know, they're pretty good at it when you get a lot of people under 
under your policy, you know, you got thousands and a million people. I mean, you can you can pretty much know what your payouts are going to be based on um, the probabilities of various people dying, law of large numbers, et cetera. So it's just assets minus um, minus liabilities. And that's book. And because most of that is public, is either publicly traded or easily valued, um, and the regulators. What they want is all that to be a market value. So in industrials, they don't, they're not trying to have all the assets be a market value. You just have to you know, make sure they're not impaired. But there's a wide area of values that you could have. In this area, these are supposed to be liquid market values. So okay, if, I'm going I'm to have to go yeah, with you on that. But, but, I will, but I no will. one believes it. That's why the stock's half the, the number. Hmm. They think... The market thinks there's more write-offs coming. There's more bad times coming. You're talking to a guy that owned a considerable amount of Lehman Brothers stock. Ah, so you're a little went down with a the little, ship. So yeah, a little gun shy on stuff yeah. like this. Yeah, well, uh, this isn't Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers, and I did the math on this, my friend. Thirty-three to one was the assets to equity leverage on that little puppy. Yep. And I think Bear Stearns was in that same ballpark. Thirty-three. Might be a little high. Here in our uh, in America, and I can't speak for other nations, although it's similar. The capital ratios I think are about um, what twelve percent, moving maybe toward fifteen or something like that. Now that would be someone that's six times, or you know, guys ten that are ten times on your house. Yeah, or if you have ten, you know, I, I have to say I don't know the regulation. Maybe maybe it's moving from eight to twelve or something. But even at eight. That's 12 times assets to equity. Lehman, 33, my friend. So, a great party while I was there. Yeah. Well, uh, so at six times and with liquid assets, and, you know, I think, okay. I think I, you got to. I'm going to have to go with your expertise on this no, because it's not, no, I look wait at a minute. this as a layman. We've way I'm... overstated my knowledge about this. I'm just looking at value line. So I, I don't know. Right. You'd have to, if you're really going to be serious about this, if we were going to think about this for clients, which – you know, we may. Who knows? I mean, we'd have to, of course, call the company. We would try to dig into the value. We we grill them right, right. on the apps, the actual value of all the assets. And and Value Line does a pretty good job here of, of delineating all this stuff. Did they did they did they undervalue so many assets when they wrote them off and they reevaluated the situation and that's why earnings have popped up to five forty? Or is it a legitimate? platform well, off of which the company is going to begin to grow. See, you've got some other information here you can look at. For example, revenues. Mm -hmm. um, premiums per share? Dropped a bit. Pretty well. They dropped a little bit last year, but that wasn't the year of the loss. So pretty stable through the yeah. year of the loss. Yeah. That wasn't the problem. But on the accounting side, if they've reevaluated upward assets and it's a one-time blip upward, that would explain. No, I don't think it's a blip upward. I think it's just the elimination of the write downs to real estate. Fair enough. Because look, investment income per share, 31, 30, 30, 31. But this would show up on the balance sheet, not the income statement. It would show up on the devaluation and the reevaluation. Well, the income upward. statement is simply that you're, you're, when you write off that asset, it's got to pass through as a loss. Yeah, yeah. forever. Yeah, yeah. But it's not an operating loss. It's yep. just uh, somebody bought something a number of years ago, and it was called a mortgage-backed security, and what I would argue is, unbeknownst to them, they lost that money right on that spot. They bought something that was going to zero. Uh, I wonder if it, it was, was beknownst to them. Well, it wasn't beknownst to them, of course. <clears throat> but, you know, that's gone. It's gone. 
As a former employee of a rating agency, what do you think about their performance? In the, the I think it was uh, shoddy, self-serving, um, and, you know, of course, they, the rating agencies have, uh, you know, freedom of the press, et cetera. They, but, you know, when you, when, when you sell opinions like that and you've done a lot of great work and you're wrong, I get that. We pick stocks that go down all the time and we do great work and there's probabilities. But when you can't show that you've done the work, well, you know, and you're rubber stamping AAA because of uh, you know certain numbers on a page, I, that's where I take issue. And so do I. And I think what happened structurally, because we both were came out of that part of the industry for a while, is that we physically kicked tires. But when we gave control of ratings over to the quant guys, who said, "Hey, we don't need to sell Val out to kick the tires. We've got an algorithm. We can all do it in house." When they started doing that, then the quality really started. I'd, I'd, to I'd have to agree with that. Yeah, and, so and there was such left, a well, know. and I don't know. Uh, you know, the volume of things coming through. There was always a conflict of interest because you're taking fees from the people that you're rating, and of course, uh, you know, if you give them a low rating, are they gonna you think that come back next time? Any? Yeah. I mean, there's a model out there that, you know, where the, the, the when you, investors when you, were, when, you were, when you were writing reports for Company A yeah, as uh, someone involved in that business, were you aware that a, that a fee might be on the line when you were writing Oh, sure. Opinion? We know about that. I mean, we knew. In fact, when we joined, um, they were just thinking about, in some cases, there's fees taken on both sides. You take a fee from the issuer for the work of doing the rating on his stock or his bond, and then you take a fee from the investor for providing a pay for it. Yeah, well, they're both they yeah. both pay, yeah. and it's a huge conflict in my opinion. Uh, and which hasn't gone away. It uh, you know I don't I don't know the the it, it may be being discussed right now in terms it, of uh, nothing's changed yet. Well, there's some lawsuits, there's some uh, investigations going on, and I think part of the outcome there should be looking at the fee structure and really asking you know why should uh, an issuer be paying, and if they are, is it putting undue influence on the analyst or the firm? And uh, you know, or as an investor, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should demand ratings. So all you municipal CFOs out there, maybe you should be demanding ratings from a firm that only takes fees from investors. So there's clearly no conflict, except to have the you know interest in getting getting the call right. Not well, we, we we need to contribute this to the uh, Occupy Wall Street movement. So I joined have, that, by the way. I noticed. You I were, joined uh, it. Yeah. I noticed you're you're in your tevas and your uh, sandals and. The well, I uh, and I joined. I'm, I'm. You know, they say it's a a, a flat uh, leadership structure, and it's uh, anyone can be in. So I'm I'm trying to get in on the committee. Which one, the drum committee or the? Uh, no, the committee to run this thing. The I mean, whole thing. Yeah, Wall Street, man. Take it over. Occupy it. Be the second time the we did it. The thing is, I've already been <laughs> occupying it. It's like, I, we're way ahead of you guys. Occupy we've been Wall occupied, Street. We've been occupying Wall Street for 30 years. Where have you guys been? Yeah, we've been waiting for you. Of course, people send you pizzas from yeah. all over the world, and we never got that Well, they're such treatment. a great source. Now you just walk outside, you can grab a slice of pizza or Gatorade. It's no problem, and it's free. Yeah. We used to have to pay a guy. Now it's you put on a bandana, go outside. It's free food. That's great. They have forty thousand dollars in the bank. Unbelievable. Been into their accounts. Well, a lot of that's going to turn into pizza, and I'll believe it. Believe me, I'm going to get a slice of that. I think you should send your sales guys out there. Well, though. maybe you could put some of that. I in completely the go into disguise. I take off my tie. 
I put on a bandana. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can't, if you go out looking like that, Mo, they're going to put, they're not going to no, give I you a I was looking at them like four, yeah. four days ago I was looking at yeah. them. Yeah. Interesting group of people. I haven't seen that much paint on faces since Woodstock. Well, I, you know, it was great. It was like a throwback. We're older guys. I mean, I remember the the 60s and the 70s, and uh, there were marches all the time. It was fun, you know. Nothing serious at this point. I don't see any cars being overturned or anything like that. I mean, but it's a good time, and the crowd seems peaceful, and and it's free pizza. The food's good. I like it. All right, next. Where are we? Are we getting off track? Yeah, I think we are. I'm sorry, listeners. This show is taking a. A lot of random turns tonight, but just but it's different. Yeah, we've missed Mo. We can we can go through the other ones pretty quickly. All right, what do we got going? Okay, uh, AZZ. Yep, yep, yep. AZZ Inc. Uh, no page number. Um, ticker AZZ. Uh, let's see what's uh, what's grabbing my attention on this thing. Well, along the top, not a ton. It's 14 times earnings. That's a little bit of a discount. I do see a 2.4% yield, so I like that. So I quickly drop down and see if it's sustainable. Well, they really have never paid a dividend until last year, uh, and so maybe they're going to start paying it from now on. You know, I don't know for sure, but if they do, and the value line analyst seems to think that that quarter per quarter, 25 cents per quarter, is going to continue, two and a, you know, 2.5% is not terrible. Fair enough. Um, what I'm really attracted to on this one, and this doesn't happen a lot, but I talked about it earlier, is that these guys are manufacturers of electrical equipment and components for power generation, transmission, and distribution. And I think it's pretty well known that the power grid in America, I mean, electricity is nice, but it's a little bit uh, outdated relative to the you know, intelligence you could put into the system now, for, existent, for example, uh, a network that could tell you where breaks are, where problems are, a network that could um, more carefully feed the right amount of voltages to the right areas. I mean, right now the electric companies basically, have, once the electricity leaves their factory, they have no idea what's going on. So there's a big push to get meters and sensors all through the network, including your house, and, uh, and, and these guys are going to be part of that. The other thing I'd say is electricity is in the ascension as a percentage of the energy pie in America. Not only is every gadget in the world electric, but we're also trying to move the biggest users of fossil fuels toward electric, which is vehicles. Um, Now, sure, natural gas will come into play, but I'm going to guess electricity is going to grow. Electricity use is going to grow faster than GDP for a long, long time, just given these big macro trends that are in place toward getting off foreign oil, moving toward domestic sources of coal and tar sands and things like that, and, uh, and, and getting off you know, fossil fuels and carbon footprints themselves. And that leans you toward electricity that's being made somewhere else, like in Canada, frankly, not the, all the smoke go there. So I think they're going to be growing faster than the economy. The stock is a discount. They've got mid-teens returns on capital. They've got a very stable and growing operating margin. It was in the 20s last year. they got a share count that's been pretty stable. I like that. you got a little bit of a dividend. And when I look back over history on the valuation, I'd say, and I will say this, this is at the high end of where this tends to trade historically. Um, But I think that the trend towards improving the grid is more clear than it has been in the past. It's becoming a more urgent matter. We've all seen brownouts and shutdowns, and I think a couple of weeks ago, Southern California 
you know, where I had a place for a while, you know, was uh, was offered like a couple of days. Millions of people. It's unbelievable. We've had our brownouts and all that. So um, I think you've got some wind at your back in terms of the need for these kinds of things. These guys are a leader in the industry. Um, I'm pretty sure I hear their name a lot. You know, revenues have been flattish for, you know, two, three years, but we're, we are in a recession. People have been trying to save money and all that, so CapEx is down, but I think that's going to be turning around over the next few years as the economy improves, and you get a 2.5% yield while you wait. Um, the debt-to-cap is pretty good. They have a couple hundred million in debt. It's all, you know, it's half offset by $140 million in cash on 12 million shares, so... Um, you know, they basically have about 12 bucks a share in cash and about uh, 20 bucks a share in debt. And uh, what else can I tell you? Uh, Value Line thinks they're going to grow sales over the next five years at 17%, which would be a recovery from this downturn, plus some, uh, you know, wind at your back in terms of improving the grid and that sort of thing. And then oh. there's always maintenance. So I like this one, Mo, AZZ. I've done very little work on Ob it. Obviously. You Thank know you. why? Yeah. No. I, what do I know? Well, you didn't read past the first three lines in the company. I, well, the Big. galvanizing. Is that yeah. what you get? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a yeah. big business. I'm well, sure. and here's what I'm wondering. This is this is a proxy for the economy. I love the I love the dividend yield. Well, but I But I'm just know. saying as a growth idea or a, even a value, it's, an, it's a proxy for the whole economy. Steel, fabrication, bridges, highways, general, Well, that's industrial. maintenance, though. And I yeah. would argue that in a soft period when people have excess, they have a lot of excess capacity. So no one's going to be building a lot of new capacity. I mean, in the in industry, not with electricity. So when you're not building new capacity, your average age of your equipment is getting older each year by a half a year, right, mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. like that. Right. And so maintenance becomes key. We owned a galvanizer here. I'm, I'm actually glad you're bringing this up. We owned National Galvanizer a couple years ago, bought out. Because they have these very stable revenue streams uh, of, of maintenance. You've got to cover steel with uh, – you've got to galvanize it to prevent rust and termites, I guess. I don't know. Steel termites. I'm not an expert. Obviously. Yeah, but I think they're – All right. I love, of, the, I love the uh, dividend yield. Um, you make me feel a little bit better. See, this yeah, is – Yeah, galvanizing. This is what's good when you actually – run a number of portfolios because you have a lot more breadth in understanding these nuances. Well, you know, uh, the buy side uh, does how many have people, its advantages. How, how many people out there know what galvanizing is important for? Let's listen. Not many hands. I'm yeah. not hearing many hands. Dial in. Call next. In. Next. All right. Finally, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks for listening. We've taken an awful lot of your time this morning. We're not doing this one, are we? No, we're not. We killed that one. Okay. Which was good. There All right. Yeah. Uh, for those that you are listening to us Russell, ruffle papers, that was presidential life, which we're not going to do, but we almost did it, so you could look at it. Finally up this week, a company called SL Industries, ticker SLI. Slice. And there's no page number. Uh, these guys are also in the electrical equipment Business. So I could have done Presidential Life, which is another life insurance company, also a discount to book, blah, blah, blah. But instead, SL Industries, it's another company sort of pointed at uh, this power area. They do power electronics, motion control, communication and equipment worldwide. 
They produce custom and standard internal and external AC-DC and DC-to-DC power supply products for use in customers and products. They've got a couple brand names. Uh, They also manufacture power quality electromagnetic products with other brand names. they got a bunch of electrical stuff here. So, again, we could get into a lot of detail. I mean, not with me because I don't know any more than I've said. But uh, we could get a professor of electricity over here. But what I would say is these guys, uh, if electricity does gain share, it looks to me like these guys are going to be involved. They've had a pretty good growth record up to 2007. It is pretty small cap. They're at nearly $200 million in sales. They had a downtick in 08, of course, tough economy. A bigger downturn in 09, I guess also tough economy. But then, and capital spending really fell off a cliff that year. But now we're kind of coming back, and the estimates for this year are continued growth in 2011. Despite what you hear out there, ladies and gentlemen, the economy right now in terms of GDP growth and even job creation is a little bit on track, on a, right in line with the last seven recoveries. So it may not be as strong as the last recovery, but... Um, we're, we're not, you know, wildly off track from being in a in, in kind of a slow growth, you know, recovery, and that yet. might become more yeah. evident next yet. year. I've heard a number of people say it's not really a recovery; it's a convalescence. Well, the G, you, see, in, in job creation, it's been tough, and I've talked about this. I think the internet is involved. You know, we were that's Siri we were talking about earlier. It puts four people out of business. Yeah. I don't need a travel agent. I don't need a secretary. I don't need a uh, you know, wake-up call, and I don't need, uh, what else? Junior team. Yeah, right. So I think that's kind of the problem. But in any case, SL Industries, I think, will be a participant in uh, the growing share of electricity as a share of our energy pie here in America. Well, let me, let me ask you a question. Yes, sir. The stock yeah. was, was $2 a share. Yeah. $2 a share in 2009. Sure was. All right. Well, you sleuth the numbers. Tell me what am I missing? Cash flow per share took a little bit of a dip, but not enough to take it from 18 to 2. Yeah. Sales, as you said, took a little bit of a dip. Yeah. I'm not seeing anything in the earnings quarters. Yeah. I'm not seeing anything in receivables. Yeah. Um, at any rate, here's what's interesting. We should have been on this stock in 2009 when it was a $2 stock. When we could have run through these numbers and said, what am I missing? Yeah. That's when we should have had this sheet talking about it, not when it's 18. Well, as I, mo- As momentum. I yeah. I mean, remember, I'm, I'm the antithesis of what you should be doing. It is the value, guys. You want to find these things at the bottom, not when they're well into a two-year trajectory recovery. Yeah. We need to find one of those and yeah. stick those in the show. Yeah. Well, a couple things about that, Mo. Yeah. One... You're right. It was at two in 2009. Um, the other thing I'd say about 2009 is a lot of things were at two. And if you go to our homepage, www.thevalueguys, there's a button there for best ideas. You can go back and you can look at the stuff we were recommending in 2009, and some of it, I'm pretty sure, was at two. So I'll give you that. I didn't do this one. Part of the reason we didn't do this one was we weren't doing the small and mid-cap. Uh-huh. However, I think you have a good point in saying, Val... This thing's up a lot. You're not a momentum guy. Why are you recommending it now instead of in 09? Is that what you're kind of saying? I am, and I, okay. think, I think what we need to do is go into the supercomputer that you guys here have in the laboratory. The cray. The cray. <laughs> and screen. <coughs> yeah. And screen for one interesting idea each show. 
That's what I think you should do. Well, didn't we have any interesting? What are you saying, uh, Mo? One. Didn't we have an interesting microphone. idea this week? Weren't one of these interesting? It's small, small. 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 Well, I, I, I think that's an interesting idea. But Value look. guys' secret portfolio. Portfolio we only reveal to our listeners. I see where you're going with this. You want to do a $2 stock. That's a little cheap, isn't it? Let me, let me finish. Below five. Hold on here. Below five. Okay. Why am I looking at this? Well, first of all, I'll give you a couple reasons. And this is an important discussion. Not really. Okay. It's not the past. So could I buy this in 2009? Wow, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No. Say that. Say that. <laughs> say that again. Okay. Say that again. This is... Is that glass empty? Well, that was the past now. Say that, say that again. This is not. This is not the past. Wow. Yeah. Does that remind you of college? Yeah. This is not. Yeah. We've, had, we've well, been having this conversation for 30 I, years. That's true. But anyway. see, I can't buy the stock in 2009. That's my point. So when I look at this, I just have to take the now. And I'm looking at it. I don't, I don't, I barely look at these charts. I just have to take the now? The have now. you started doing yoga without telling no, me? it's Steve. He's affecting me. I'm reading all about him. And we, we can't he, go into the past. Yeah. We need to be in the now. Yeah. The now. He keeps he's throwing, he now. throws stuff away. I'm saying throw away the chart. Yeah. Right. So okay. I'm in the now, Here and I'm know. saying what, I got, the stock's at 16. What's the operating earnings, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, these guys give me a, a margin. Uh, it says 8.6, but you don't mind if I just round that to 10, do you? We can nope. do the math. Nope. Uh, and the, the revenues here say 189, but I see all the revenues are up in 2011, so just give me 200 million, right? It's up at 11. They're, they're beating each, actually, they're beating each quarter by more than 10 million, so it looks like the revenues for 2011 might be 230 million, but I'll say 200. 200 times 10%, 20. Mm-hmm. EBITDA. Okay. What's the enterprise value? I've got uh, 4.5 million shares. They bought uh, over a million shares last year. There's a pretty good use I of saw cash. Because then it went up. So they bought them cheap and it yeah. went up. Did a good job on that. But 4.5 million shares, stock at 16. I don't have a calculator, but I know 4 times 16 is 64, and 5 times 16 is 80. So in between there is, what, 72 or something like that? Yeah. So 72, I'm going to add the debt. Total debt, $9 million. That gets me to 81 I'm going to subtract the cash, $4 million, 77 So $77 million in uh, enterprise value. That means we Divided could, by 4.5 million shares. Uh, well, no, because I have this operating income is $20 million, You got it. And I've got this thing at whatever I just said, uh, $78 million. We could get all our buddies to pony up $78 million. We'd own this operating income. We'd get twenty million. I'm going to do the math. We could package it and sell it as bonds. Twenty. We could rate it triple A. Yeah. Sell it to. Uh, I know exactly who we can. Presidential life. <laughs> well, we can't mention. All right. On the show. It's too late for that. Sorry, Charlie. So we have twenty million in EBITDA. We've got eighty million in enterprise value. Twenty over eighty. Twenty-five percent. That is our cash on cash, cash return. return. Now, do I wish I'd owned that at two? Instead of 16, well, good Lord, my cash-on-cash return would be, uh, well... Value guys buyout fund. Pretty high. What do you you think? But see, in 2009, look, earnings had been down from $1.76. Now, remember, in 2009, we were table-pounding stocks here on the show. So we would have undoubtedly been table-pounding this. We we table-pounded something else. But at that point in time, 
the stock was a two, earnings were 59 cents, so it was four times earnings. Well, trough earnings, too. Yeah, four times earnings. Now, maybe you thought earnings were going negative, and maybe you thought the bank was going to call the loan. But that's where we we come in. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think your point's valid, but... Next um, week, stay tuned. What are you going to do next week, Mo? Well, we, we can crank up the uh, supercomputer, do a screen, see if we can find an interesting name. So, you, Mo. A small, one of the thousand points of light. All right. The small cat Sounds good. I'll look forward to that. So, uh, you're going to bring some, some, uh, some fresh perspective in the stocks that are two category next week. Okay. That sounds exciting. Um, looking forward to that. And then what else do we uh, have for this week? Not much. We'll see all the the protests. We'll be there broadcasting live. That would be a lot of fun. In our other life. So uh, I guess we just thank everyone at this point. Thanks for listening in, everybody. Another complete waste of your time. Hopefully not, but... Next week. Mo, thanks for coming. Drive safely. Uh, You too. And then I, I just can't seem to get off. What else do I want to... See all of our stuff at www.thevalueguys.com. That's what was missing. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.